the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Can you imagine what it might have been like for Elijah to go to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and give them a word from God that it wasn't going to rain for three months, knowing that these were two of the most evil cruel people that had ever ruled Israel or pretty much anywhere. And that's saying something. There's been some pretty evil rulers throughout history. And even in the short time that Israel was a major world power in the Old Testament, uh, there were a lot of them. They were some of the worst. But can you imagine having the courage to go before them and give them that message from God, knowing that they wanted to kill you? What does it take to have that kind of courage? For me, I know one of the few things that gives me that kind of courage is to know for sure that the message that I am delivering is something I heard from God. And he knew that. And another way that you can know that it is the Spirit of God telling you is not only that he gives you the courage to do what he's asked you to do, but that he comes through. Uh, One of the most crazy parts of this whole story of Elijah is that he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness and He's told that ravens will bring him bread and meat every day. That sounds nuts. And yet that's exactly what happened. Every day, and until God changed the plan in the middle and provided another way, uh, ravens would fly in bringing him bread and meat. It's, it's, It's just crazy. But here's what Elijah knew, and here's what we are still learning as well. God guides and provides when we trust and obey. God guides and provides when we trust and obey. That that phrase is actually one of the big things that our church logo represents. And one of the reasons that it's a bird is to represent those ravens in that story and many other birds that somehow show up in a lot of the stories where God guides and provides when people really go out of their way to trust and obey him. Primarily, though, it represents the Holy Spirit himself. Notice it's not exactly a dove, it's kind of dove-ish. It represents a dove, an eagle, ravens, and several other birds, as I just said. But here's the thing. We are wrapping up today a a series where we're talking exclusively about how to hear the voice of the Spirit, how to follow the leading that He wants to give us, how to receive and use the empowerment that He wants to give us. It's so important that we know His voice. It's not that complicated. I I know that everybody here in one way or another, there's some voices you recognize, right? Everybody, I'm trying to look you in the eyes. Can can you nod if this is true? Yes. There's some voices you recognize. You hear it on the phone. These days it says people's names, but still, you you just know without even looking, you know who this is. When our boys were little, uh, there could be a whole crowd of adults. And if Kim said one of their names, I'll just pick on Justice. He's over there. He said, Justice, he'd look. He knew exactly whose mom was calling somebody. Does that that sound familiar to you guys? But but it was more than that. It wasn't just they knew the sound of their voice. They knew exactly the kind of things that we would say. If one of their friends would have said, hey, uh, you should uh, come over here out out back in the church. We're going to jump off, climb up on the roof and jump off. Your mom said it's fine. They knew better. Are you with me? They knew that there was no possible way that their mom would ever say anything like that. They knew her voice. Now, if they would have said, hey, your dad said it's fine, they might have believed it. (laughs) 
even though I'm learning and repenting of uh, my natural tendencies in that. But, but they knew the kind of things that mom would say, the kind of things dad would say. Even when they wanted permission for something, they knew which one to go to. Anybody else's kids ever do that? And it's the same way. This is why it's so important, why we spent so much time in this series talking about how to listen to the Spirit. We've spent so much time unpacking the kinds of things we already know He says. The kind of things we already know He does. The kind of things we know for sure, this is going to be some of the stuff He's going to tell you. This is going to be some of the stuff He convicts you about. Guaranteed, he is going to guide and provide. He's going to guide and empower. But he is going to, for sure, maybe some other ways too. But for sure, he's going to go in the directions that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. He's going to generate these things in us. Are we tracking? All right. So that's why we spent that much time on all of this. See, the Holy Spirit even guided and empowered Jesus. And Jesus is part of the Trinity, and that's so complicated. We'll actually talk a little bit about that next week. But it's hard to understand, and yet when Jesus was here physically on this earth, the Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism in the form of a dove so people could see it happening. But he was guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit too. This is what he does. This is how God set it up. And we need to know his voice. Francis Chan asked this question, and it's, it's, it's a very convicting one. He said, if the Holy Spirit left your ministry, how long would it take to figure it out? And I'd like to ask this morning, uh, uh, if, if the Holy Spirit left your life, how long would it take for you to figure that out? And again, uh, uh, if, if that sounds condemning, Forgive me, because that's not what the Holy Spirit's voice actually sounds like. We've been over this several times, too. He's convicting. The, whole, the voice of the Spirit is always going to say, this needs to change a little bit, and it can. I am going to lead you here, and I know it sounds hard or crazy or whatever it might sound to you, but trust me in this. This can happen. He never condemns. He never says, you're just a loser, and you failed, and you need to just give up. That is not... That is not the Holy Spirit. So please don't hear that from me this morning. But this is a really good question to keep asking us. Because if what we call Christianity in our own daily lives or what we do collectively is something that we could do without the Holy Spirit's help, it's not the Christianity the Bible describes. That's just true. Without the Holy Spirit... We are naturally bent toward missing the mark. We're naturally bent toward other things. That's why in Galatians 5, one more time, not forever, but for this series and wrapping this up, I'll give you a break on Galatians 5 for a little bit. Paul says, without him, the sinful nature produces things like sexual immorality, drunkenness, and a whole bunch of other selfish things. And then there's an even longer list in the middle of all the things about anger and division. And all the things that that tear us apart and break up relationships. And we're all vulnerable to that because we all are naturally bent that direction without the help of the Holy Spirit. And yet, Paul says, the Spirit of God produces these things in us. By now, you should be able to say it. Let's try it. Ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Good job. 
That's the kind of stuff we can always expect from him. There's going to be some specific things too. Once you know his voice, even some things that feel really outlandish will actually be him. And if you have the courage to follow him, it's going to be wonderful. You're going to sense that. But it's always for sure guaranteed going to go in these directions. That's why we study what the Bible actually says about each one of these fruits so hard. One more time, this is again going to wrap this up today, but we're focusing on love. I told you at the beginning that's the most important thing. That and faithfulness tie all the others together. And so we're going to explore that. And in the New Testament, the word that we translate as love is agape. The Greek word agape. It means unconditional love, strategic love, chosen love, as in you choose to love. It's not just something that happens or that you fall into. It's empathetic love, and it's so much more. We're going to explore that together. But the bottom line of it is it is God's love. It's the kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that God creates in us. In the Old Testament, which was originally written in Hebrew, there were two words that they used primarily to describe the word of God. I'm sorry, the love of God. Two words that they used for the love of God. One was ahava, and the other is chesed. It's hard to say those two, and I'm not getting choked up. That's just what it sounds like as best as I can pr- pronounce Hebrew. But Ahava is what Jeremiah was talking about when he said, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. Ahava refers to the, the love of God that it just doesn't die. It's, just, it's, it's not going to end. It's not going to dry up. Hesed is used even more often, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more today. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project describes Hesed better than I've ever heard anybody describe it. He says, Hesed combines the ideas of love, generosity, and enduring commitment all into one. Hesed describes an act of promise-keeping loyalty. I love that phrase, an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. And in the New Testament, which is written in a whole different language that's even more precise than Hebrew, Greek, we we get this other word that covers all of that and more. It's agape. Would you say that one with me? Agape. One more time. Everybody try it. Agape. That's it. How many have heard this word before? You, you, you know, good. Thank God. It's one of the few of these old school words that we actually know. But when we say that God is love, it's important to note that that's what it's saying. That God is agape. And it's not saying that God is whatever we think love is. Sometimes we, we get that. Mathematically, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Or if A equals B then B equals A. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we just think you can almost interchange them. You can't really interchange those. To say that God is love does not mean that whatever we call love at any given moment in our culture, in our history, in our study of the Bible, whatever, whatever we call love, that's God. That's not, that's not what that's saying. To say that God is love is that God in his very essence is this concept of agape. Whatever agape is, is defined by the character of God. Those are inseparable. God, God, like agape, God is generous. He is faithful. He is empathetic. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He offers love to everyone. 
All of this and more. That's what it means when we say that God is love. But again, all of this was hinted in the Old Testament. Here's some more, here's some more examples of Hesed and a couple from Ahaba. Exodus 34, God appears to Moses. Moses wants to see God with his own eyes. And God passes in front of him and declares his name to Moses. He says, this is who I am. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. This is his, him saying his own name. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's chesed and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This idea, God identifies himself in the old and new with this. Psalm 136 begins, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then the whole group is asked to repeat this. His love endures forever. It's chesed. And if you read that psalm, it repeats that 26 times. Let's say it once together. His love endures forever. Ready? His love endures forever. And then in the New Testament, using the Greek word agape that means all of this and more, the Apostle John writes, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Which leads us to the next big thing, that, that, that probably the central thing of what we're talking about this morning, where this is heading, where the Spirit is leading us individually and as a church to go deeper and deeper into this idea, is that God expects this from us. We're going to say that word in, in the middle. It's not agape. doesn't mean he wants us to have our mouths open. That's the English word that looks the exact same thing. This is agape, okay? We've just unpacked what agape. Let's say this together. God expects agape from us. Agape is almost the exact opposite. It's so much more than that. So I almost hesitate to say that. But it could almost be the opposite of the word selfish or selfishness. It's selfless and it's relentless. And here's another thing. We actually sang about this a little bit this morning. But love, true love, agape love has nothing to do with whether the person who we love deserves it or not. Or whether we think they deserve it. It's just we got to love them. It's, it's a command. It's a choice. And that's how God loves us. I, I'm, I'm not judging your hearts, but I know my own heart. I don't deserve the kind of love that God loves me with. I'm pretty sure you don't either. Deuteronomy 6. This is God telling the people in the Old Testament, I expect you to love you the way that I love you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That command is repeated so many times throughout the Old Testament. And so is the other one that we always leave up here because it's just as central. Love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the best examples of this godly, Holy Spirit-inspired kind of love is actually in the Old Testament. And it's the character of Ruth. How many love the story of Ruth? How many don't know the story of Ruth? Oh, not very many, so I'll keep it short. 
But this is, this is the basic idea. Ruth was a woman from Moab. And a family from um, Israel, there was a time of famine, so they moved to Moab, and their sons married Moabite girls. Then they grew up, and all the men in the family died. So all three women, the mom and the two um, daughters-in-law, are left as widows. And they find out there's, there's, wood, there's actually food again back in Israel, back in Bethlehem, the town where they lived. So they decided to move back, but on the way back, the mom, Naomi, says, listen, there's no reason for you to come back with me. You guys need to stay here with your families and just live your lives. Thank you. That's so kind that you think you'd come. But Ruth says, no, no. And there's this beautiful passage. You should read the whole book, by the way. I'm not going to quote it exactly. But she basically says, I'm going to go with you no matter what you do. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'm going to stick with you no matter what. And then she just relentlessly keeps on loving and providing for Naomi, and, and, and it just keeps going. Eventually, she ends up marrying this guy named Boaz. And when she first goes to him and says, I'm asking you to marry me, and it's part, of, and he knows that it's maybe there's some love going on there. I, I don't know. Maybe they're attracted to each other. That's a whole other thing and a whole other sermon. But here's what we know for sure. She's doing it to make sure that she is providing for Naomi as well. And he knows that. And that's what he means in verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than what you showed earlier. If you remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago when we talked about kindness, and I said kindness and love are almost the same thing. Sometimes they translate them differently. It's just, this is the same word. This is chesed. This is love, agape in Greek in the New Testament. This is kindness or love in the Old Testament. It's the same idea. He said, you embody this perfectly. Jesus said the same thing in John 13 when he said that we are supposed to love like he loved us. And he said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. And not just any kind of love, agape. This kind of, the godly kind of love. We also see in the story of Ruth and in Jesus and in anybody else who's ever loved this way, we see all of the fruit of the Spirit. Because again, it's not fruits, it's fruit singular. This is the stuff the Spirit produces in all of us, but it's a package deal. It's not this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. It's like if the Spirit is in you and you're letting Him produce what He wants to produce in you, this stuff, all of this stuff is going to be there. It's going to grow in you. This is what you can expect. So let's walk through it one more time together. One is not, the first one is love. The second one is joy. And this is a feeling of joy and happiness that comes from noticing and choosing to truly enjoy and focus on what is good, no matter the other circumstances. It's not living in denial. It's not being an idiot who just doesn't know what's going on. But it's choosing to see and focus on what is still good and genuinely feeling happy. We can't do that on our own, but the Spirit helps us do that. Ruth did that at every step along the way. The second one is peace. Old Testament is shalom. New Testament is irene. Both mean rest and completeness. 
It's not just a feeling. Again, it's not, it's not something you could get out of a bottle or a pillbox. It's about real healing has happened. Real completeness has happened. Real restoration has happened. Or at least it's happening. Things that were complex and broken are being reunited and healed. And therefore, it's just a sense of this is how it should be. That can only happen with the help of the Holy Spirit. But it happens naturally in us. You see that in the story of Ruth as she comes from so much brokenness, but that story is overwhelmingly a story of healing and restoration. And it ends with a generationally stable family that produces King David. Patience. Patience is makrothumia in Greek, but that word is not just being willing to wait without complaining like we normally think. It means endurance, perseverance, living faithfully, living with anticipation, knowing that no matter what is going to come, something good will come because we're doing the right thing. You see Ruth do that. You see Jesus do that. You see anyone who's truly led by the Spirit doing this because that's what he does in us. And then we come to kindness, which is hesed in the Old Testament. It's krestotes in Greek, so it is separate from agape. But it's this loving kindness, this unfailing, undying love. It's not focused on yourself at all. It's focused on just meeting other ne- others' needs. Your feelings and even your feelings about them are irrelevant. What you think about them, whether they deserve love or not, is irrelevant. You just freely choose to love them and you're kind to them. You treat them well regardless. It's what Ruth did. It's what Jesus did. It's what we do if we listen to the Spirit. Again, one more time, two quotes I've shown you so many times over this series, but let me toss them out one more time. I just love this. It's, if we could remember these as well as some of these scriptures, it's going to be life-changing. Number one, Shola Richards says, we are defined by how we treat each other. Not by how we believe we should treat each other. Not by what we believe about people and what we believe about whatever other issues we may believe something about. How we treat each other is what defines us. That's what people see. That's what people experience. That's what God judges. Brendan Manning says, In every encounter you either give life or drain it. God's people give life. If you're draining it, something's deathly wrong. Francis Chan again. Here's another really convicting quote. Again, I hope this is not condemning, but this is really important. He says, if God said yes to everything you pray, would you be really comfortable or a lot more like Jesus? That's a good thing to think about. There's a couple last ones. One is faithfulness. Uh, The Greek word is pistis, and that is you're so full of faith that you actually act. You do something about it, and you refuse to give up. And then we've got gentleness, where truly strong people are careful with others, and they use their strength strategically to protect and to help others grow. And self-control, which is total mastery of your urges and desires and a focus. You're putting all of this stuff and all your skill in a constant learning process, getting better and better at it all the time. And then, of course, it's all wrapped up in this concept of love. There are actually seven Greek words for love. 
um, four primary ones that are used in the scripture. And that is why C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful book called The Four Loves. And if this intrigues you today, I really recommend that book, The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. Here's a quote from that. He says, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Stephen Kendrick says, almost every sinful action ever committed can be traced back to a selfish motive. It is a trait that we hate in other people, but justify in ourselves. That's why the Holy Spirit works so hard to defeat all the anger and division and all those things our sinful nature produces and replace it with all of this, especially love. Let's say this together. The Holy Spirit produces agape in us. One more time, everybody together. The Holy Spirit produces agape in us. And this happens when we daily submit. That's why in Romans 12, and by the way, in your bulletin and online, there are always uh, some sort of sermon guide. The, all these scriptures, even the ones I just barely refer to, and some I don't, are in there as a Bible study. I hope you go back. We're going to rush through some of these this morning just to try and end on time, but get to the point. But please don't think rushing through these means they're not important. In Romans 12, Paul says... Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And he says that when we do this, that we will be transformed. He says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this dark world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will know what God's will is, his good, perfect and pleasing will. And that chapter goes on then to talk about the unity that we can have. It talks about uh, us being one body and it outlines the spiritual gifts which come from the same spirit as the fruit. Romans 12 verses 9 to 21. Here's a little, here, we're, we're going to actually read these ones out loud. Basically just going to let Paul speak to you. So just let this, just let the spirit speak through these inspired words. Love must be insincere. Hate what is evil. Oh, cool. There's an echo. Yeah, let's read it together. I like that. I, that's wonderful. Let's read it together. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. By the way, that's not only in Romans. Paul is quoting Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 through 22 there. Thank you for reading that powerful passage with me. I hope it sinks in. Here's one more. I'm going to refer to just a couple more. We're going to wrap this thing up this morning, but please hear what I know. Like Elijah going to Ahab and Jezebel, except you guys are awesome. I'm not scared of you. But I know I'm hearing from God on this. This is his word confirms that I know everything we're about to wrap up with today is directly from him. Paul writes in Romans 13, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, and he lists several of them, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Do, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Jamie mentioned earlier today that 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter. The whole thing is about love. And I urge you to read that whole thing one more time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 14 simply says, do everything out of love. In John 15, Jesus says that he and his father are one. And in the same way, he expects us to be one. And how do we do that? However, he and God and the spirit did it. God and us with the Spirit. God and us and each other together can be one in that same way we're expected to be. In Ephesians 4, we've looked at this one over and over throughout this whole series, but uh, uh, one more time, let me refer you back to that and ask you again, just read the whole chapter at once. But it says, to live a life that is worthy of the calling that we've received. In other words, we actually live this stuff out. Paul tells us to make every effort to make sure we get all of this done. He talks about there is one body, one God, one truth, one baptism. He lists all these things. We are united in those things. And right in the middle of it, he lists the gifts of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit gives to empower God's people to do God's work. Same Spirit, the gifts and the fruit. He talks about unity. He talks about the fullness that we could experience if we all did this. And he says, when this happens, then we will no longer be infants blown and tossed by the wind. We're going to grow up. We're going to be mature. We're actually going to be able to get stuff done. The stuff that God wants done. Ephesians 4 is where that passage is. It says, speak the truth in love. We say that all the time. Is where it says to build each other up and so much more. Imagine, imagine if all of us did that, if you did that, if I did that, if us collectively, we all did that. Imagine if all the churches around the world literally did this and, and we have to, it's the plan. Anything less is not the plan. If the spirit just decided not to show up one day and we didn't know the difference, that is not the plan. 
It doesn't matter how much we like it or how popular it is or how much, how much people respect us or how innately good some of the things we do are. If we're not following the Spirit, we're missing it. Brothers and sisters, we dare not miss it. Some of you know about the five love languages. Has anybody ever heard of this? That's a whole other series. We we can't go there except these are the ways that we tend to know that we feel loved. And most of us, in one way or another, these are these. Dr. Gary Chapman says there's words of affirmation. There are gifts, uh, like we like giving or receiving gifts. Time, just giving or spending time with others. Some sort of action and some sort of touch. You know why those things are the way that's so embedded in humanity? Because we're made in the image of God. You really, I told you this would be laser practical every single time. Listen to me. That is the Holy Spirit's love language too. If you feel like maybe you are missing it, you need to spend some time with the Holy Spirit. Pray, study the word, Read the Gospels over and over. Memorize the words of Jesus. Get to know what his voice sounds like. Get to know the kind of things he says. And worship him. Give him some words of affirmation. Give your gifts to him. He likes that. That's why we like that. Do stuff. Do stuff for him. Do stuff for others. He says we express our love best to him when we do it for other people. Show his love. Live his love. And I promise you, you're going to start hearing from the Spirit more clearly. You're going to sense that leading. It's different for everybody, but I promise you, you're going to tangibly sense this more than ever before in your life. Especially in the area of love. C.S. Lewis says, do not waste time bothering about whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. God guides and provides when we trust and obey. And I don't know what he's asking you to do this morning, but this is the chance that we always give you to do that. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never been baptized into Christ, if you're feeling led this morning to officially join our congregation, if you just want prayer, I don't know what he's asking you to do this morning. But if you sense the Spirit telling you to do something, that's something you need to share with us, come forward and we'll share it with you. If it's something you need to do exactly where you are, stay there. Listen to the Spirit. But let's all make a decision in his direction this morning.